couple of years at our church, since we moved in this building, have been we've seen some really incredible things happen here, and many of y'all already know that. Uh, just as a, uh, a reminder, and I'm sure that if you came to the church or went to school, you already know this. In the last two years, our church we've had we've had a 58 percent increase in the people who've come to our church. And a large group of those people that have come into the church have been in our children and in our youth ministries. And so because of that, because what God has done in our, in our church life, we are going through this capital campaign to add additional space to our church, just right out these doors, uh, with a children and a youth building. Now, to let you all know, and also one of those little inserts that you got, you can see the floor plan in there, so you all can look at that too. Just don't look at it like when I'm preaching, so it make me feel better. But uh, in the floor plan that's going to be over there, we are adding an additional 15,000 square feet. Now, you can look at all that, and you can say, why in the world are we doing something like this? Why are we building during a time like this? And the answer, really, when it comes down to it, it's very simple. It's because we believe that God has placed Village Church in a unique position. And that is that he has enabled us to really have good favor with our children and with, with the youth in the community. And God has really blessed the church. And so if our church and, and those of us who are parents, if we are going to lead by example, then it's going to require us setting out a course for our children to follow. And that we are trying to lay the groundwork so that we will have a path that we can put a lot of our young people on so they can discover Christ. Now let me try to try, try to explain it like this to you through a story. There was a guy from Finland, his name, I'll just give you his last name, was Behrens. I can't say his first name, I have no idea how to say it. But he was in the 1976 Olympics, he won the 5,000 and 10,000 meter race. And his coach came to him and said, I want you to expand your horizons, I want you to run a marathon in the Olympics. He'd never run a marathon before, he's just finished running two long distance races and he says, I want you to run a marathon. Now, he says, well, how do I do this? What's my strategy going to be? He said, follow a guy named Frank Shorter. Have you all heard of Frank Shorter? Frank Shorter won the gold medal in 1972. 76, he was running again. And so the guy who doesn't know anything about running marathons says, okay, so I follow this guy. What do you want me to do? He said, just get behind him. He said, and you run with him. That's all you got to do. For 26.2 miles, just stay behind this guy. And he says, when he speeds up, you speed up. When he slows down, you slow down. Just keep him in sight, and you're going to do great. Well, Virens did that. Ran the race, never ran a marathon in his life. Now, he didn't do so well that he won a gold medal, but in his very first marathon, the 1976 Olympics, by just following that guy, he finished in fifth place. Fifth place in the world in his first marathon. Now, you might be saying, what does that have to do with anything concerning the church? Well, here's the idea. I believe that, that those of us who are parents and those of us who are believers, we are like the Frank Shorters to our children and to the young people in this congregation. We, we are, we, you know, we've been there before. We've run the race before. We know what the obstacles are. And if the young people are going to be able to stay on course and be able to find Jesus, then those of us who are believers, like Frank Shorter, we are running ahead of them, setting the pace for them. And that is why our church is doing what we're doing today, doing what we're doing right next door to us, is we are running the race, setting the pace to help young people 
discovered that there is a God who loves them and cares for them. And so what we're doing is we are going to be laying bricks, figuratively and literally, in order to build our young people for the future. You know, we are, we are building. That we, we talked about building, uh, building for the future. We talked about building today for an eternity. We are building as a church, not just buildings. We are building people for an eternity. And so today in our scripture, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus sharing with us how we can lay brick to build up our children for an eternity. We're laying bricks to build children for eternity. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to take it and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look in verse number 13 in just a few moments. So Mark chapter 10, verse number 13. And in our scripture, we're going to see Jesus sharing with us how to lay bricks for an eternity. Now, when Jesus was speaking uh, in, these, these, uh, in this text, in Mark chapter 10, verse number 13, Jesus at this time... This is before, obviously, the cross, before everybody's ticked off at him because of the kind of leader he is. He was very popular. Now, just to get you all involved here just a little bit, why do you think Jesus was such a popular person at this time? What are some things that you can think of that Jesus had done? He healed people. Is that, do you all think that's a, an attention getter? I mean, would it get your attention if you saw somebody come along and there's a blind guy and he just comes over and lays his hands on his eyes and the guy gets up and all of a sudden he can see? I mean, quite impressive. Okay, Jesus had already done that. He'd healed somebody who was blind. He'd caused somebody who was deaf to be able to hear again. He'd raised dead people back to life. That one's pretty good. I mean, that one's going to get my attention big time. And on top of that, Jesus is an incredible teacher. People love to listen to Jesus speak. Now, why is that? Well, we're told in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So he's a great teacher. And in our text, once again, there's a big crowd that gathers around Jesus. And it's a bunch of parents that show up and they start bringing their kids. They start bringing their kids to Jesus because they want Jesus to bless their kids. Now, does that make sense to y'all? If you saw a man who was a great teacher, a man who healed people, who could cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to be raised to life again, if you've got kids, would you think, I think it could be beneficial if Jesus, like, maybe just touched them. Okay, this is why people were approaching Jesus. And it's here in our text that we see that parents, by looking at these parents in our text today, how they were using this moment when they came into contact with Jesus to build the lives of their children for an eternity. Now, how do we do that today? How do we build up our kids? I don't care how old your kid is. You might have grandkids. Your kids might be older. How can we build up our young people, our children, for an eternity? So what are some building blocks that we need to lay? Well, here we go. For our very first one, very first building block to raise up your child for an eternity is very simple. Bring your children to Jesus. And you, know, you, want to, you want to see your kids be on the right path in life? Village Church, we want to be a church that is going to impact the lives of young people and adults. What do we need to do? We need to come to Jesus. Now, that's pretty simple. 
But we, we lay the bricks by bringing our children to Jesus. Now look with me in verse number 13 of, of chapter 10. It says, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. I remember when I was 14 years old, we were driving to Texas uh, to see my grandparents, and my dad pulled over on the side of the road. He got out, and he said, Eric, come over here. You're going to drive the car. I was 14 years old. We're getting ready to, you know, we're going into traffic, and I got out of the car. I went around behind the driver's, uh, behind the wheel. As you can imagine, there's a great sense of excitement on my part, like this is awesome. Can you imagine my mother? Uh, if you all know my mother, Stephanie does, uh, my mother was about to have a conniption fit because, one, she got relegated to the back seat, and it's just me and dad in the front seat. You know, I'm sitting there like 14. I'm going to drive with one arm. And so we're driving. And what dad was doing this because my mom was like, why are you doing this? He's like, i got to get him ready. He's getting his permit next year. I want him to be prepared for the future, to be ready to drive. Now, I'm not suggesting this for every parent. Uh, for one, I believe that might be illegal. I'm not sure, 14. Uh, but, but another reason why is you might have a different method that you want to use. But the whole purpose is dad wanted to expose me to driving in traffic so that I would be ready to face the future whenever I was driving. Well, the same idea is true here. The parents in our text, they wanted to expose their children to Jesus in order to prepare the kids for the future. To prepare their lives, not just for the future, but also for an eternity. It was not uncommon for parents to bring their children to rabbis to be blessed. Jesus was not just a rabbi, though. The parents recognized that he was somebody different. You know, somebody who heals, somebody who has a special connection with God. They understood that this was a man who didn't just, who couldn't just affect their lives you know, maybe from a church angle, but that he was a man who could transform their lives for an eternity. Israel was, was not, at this time, Israel was not in charge of their own nation. The Romans were. They had an occupying government in their, in their country. They were, the Israeli people were irritated. They wanted them out. And so they, this time, they are looking for a leader who's going to give them victory. They're looking for a leader who's going to come and give them freedom and give them promise and give them hope for a future. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus begins to preach. And if you look at what he preaches about, he begins to preach that I can give you freedom from the bondage of sin. He begins to tell them that I can give you victory in life. He begins to let them know that there's a kingdom that God has for his people. Now, with this people who has an occupying government, a message like this is really exciting to them. And so they begin to say, we got to get our kids around this guy because he is preaching a message of peace and freedom. He had a message of hope for the people. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that people even today are desperate for hope. We are looking for hope everywhere. You know, something that we can hang on to. We, we, have, we are desperate for hope in our economy. We're desperate for hope in our marriages. We are desperate for hope in the lives of our children. We desire to see our children to live lives where they can have the innocence of childhood and then where they can grow up and they can live their lives with meaning and purpose. 
And the best way for our kids to discover that is to be introduced to Jesus. Now what I want you to do is I want you to look in verse number 13 and find something very important here. Did the children voluntarily go to Jesus? How did they get there? Did anybody make them go? Yeah, the parents. That's right. You scared me. Yeah, I thought you said Eric. I was like, what? Uh, Yeah, the parents did. It says the parents took their children to Jesus. Now, do you think, and I started thinking about that. I was like, were maybe did some of the kids, maybe did they go kicking and screaming? You know, knowing kids, there probably were a few of them that did. Did some of the children want to stay at home and play with their friends instead of go to Jesus? Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably some of them said, hey, let's, uh, Mom, do I really go hear that guy talk? I mean, I'd rather stay home and play you know, camel box. Or something like that. You know, it's a, I mean, did they, were they all excited about going there? I don't think that they all were. But the parents understood that it was worth bringing their kids to Jesus. They'd already seen what Jesus had been able to do. And they wanted their children to be exposed to this incredible man who could bring change into life. Now, I've heard a lot of parents say, I'm not going to do anything to force my children to do you know, to do certain things concerning matters of faith. I want them to make up their own mind. And I know that sounds very cosmopolitan, you know, that's very worldly, and it sounds like, you know, those, hey, those are some hip parents and all that. Because let me tell you something, as a parent, it is the job of a parent to lead. It is the job of a parent to lead. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, does it make any sense to you to allow your children to choose what their diet's going to be when they're like five years old? Absolutely not. I mean, we all know, I know with my kids, if we did that, they'd eat Cocoa Puffs every night before, uh, before dinner, and then they'd top it off with a chocolate sundae. The children innately do not know when they're younger what is best for them. That is why God gave them parents. It is the role of a parent to lead a child and to teach them. Now you might say, well, is that like being like a dictator? And my kid's never going to have the opportunity to make decisions for himself. Absolutely not. But when your child is younger, when they're in your home, you need to be placing them on the path you desire for them to travel down because there's going to be a day, fingers crossed, when they're going to move out. Right? You know, and hopefully not when they're 30. But there's going to be a day when they're going to move out of the house. And when they do that, they will make their decision. And the hope is that what you've taught them when they're younger, the, the road to be on, that when they get older, they'll say, you know what, that's a good road. And I want to stay on that road that my parent pointed out to me. You see, if you teach them when they're younger, the hope is that when they get older, they will see the wisdom of that road. Have you ever been lost before and didn't know what road you're on? Uh, we have a guy, I, I'm not great with direct, you know, there's some people that can, you know, they walk outside, you can spin them around, put a blindfold on them, and they'll say, I'm heading northwest. And you're like, well, how did you know that? I have no idea. And so there's a guy in our church, Gary Collins. Gary's sitting over here. Gary lives in, he says he lives in Lugoff. You all know where Lugoff is? Now, okay, Lugoff's just right down, it's not too far from here. Gary says he lives, Gary doesn't live in, like, Lugoff proper, as is, there is one. He lives in Lugoff Outer. 
And it's like, he lives in the country, country. And so Gary gives me the, the, you know, the directions to us. I remember the very first time I went to Gary's house, we drove out there. And uh, it was, I didn't have really much of a problem finding his house. But the nighttime came. And in country Lugolf, it's really dark. And so, you know, you, we're driving home, and I, and I can't, I don't know where I am. And the signs out there are, you know, you don't have these nice, Maine on a lot of the roads, you don't have these nice, you know, like the green, y'all are familiar with the green signs that have white lettering? Well, out in the country, they don't have those. They have black signs. Does that make sense to y'all? That is the dumbest thing. If you work for the DOT, why in the world do you have a black sign and it's nighttime and they have these little white letters on there, you know, it's like state road, you know, like I'm supposed to know what the number is. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, where am I? And I'm driving around and I, and I miss a turn obviously somewhere and I'm just, I'm praying to God, please let me see a road I'm familiar with. Because after like 45 minutes, I'm still driving and I have no idea where I am. And I began to realize I am going to die Five miles from Blythewood of starvation, and I'm going to be totally humiliated, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to eat somebody to be able to survive until I find my way home. And so it was just absolutely horrible. And so finally I found a little road that I was familiar with, and I was able to navigate my way back. Now, okay, what does this mean? Let, let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who go through life who don't have a clue what road they're on. And so they, they have no security as they wander around through life having no clue where God wants them or what God desires from their life. And so they live in just a state of flux. The last thing we want is our children to have no idea what road they're on. That is why a parent, that is why this church is here to point out the road that God desires for us to travel. Jesus said, I'm the road. You want to know where to go? He said, follow me. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, parents, it's our job to start laying bricks for an eternity for our children. Village church, that's why we're going to be laying bricks literally right over here. So that we can, so that we can assist parents and assist this community in pointing out the hope that Jesus has for our lives. The road that he wants us to be on. So what's the first building block necessary in a child's life to build them for an eternity? Bring them to Jesus. But another building block to build our children up for an eternity is remove obstacles that stand between them and Jesus. We have to remove obstacles. I'm going to read to you two verses, verses 13 and 14. It says, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, what was the obstacle that stood between the children and Jesus? Interestingly enough, it was the disciples. It says when the disciples saw the parents bringing their children to Jesus, says the disciples rebuked the parents. That word rebuked, it's a, it's a strong term. It, it's the same word that was used. You remember when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples, it was kind of wavy. And it says Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And they, they got still. That word, it, the word rebuke means to muzzle. Okay, the disciples are muzzling the parents. Y'all get out of here. Keep your mouth shut. Now, why did they do this? Now, we don't really know. The text doesn't tell us why they rebuked the parents. I think we can come up with some pretty good ideas. 
Uh, one, it could have been, you know, they were like, hey, man, Jesus is always surrounded with people. Why don't y'all leave him alone? You know, the last thing Jesus needs is a bunch of little brats running around interrupting him. Now, what's interesting is how did Jesus respond to this? Did Jesus come over to the disciples when they did this and said, man, thank you so much for keeping the rugrats away from me. They're driving me crazy. Did Jesus do that? No. Our text says Jesus became indignant. In other words, he was ticked off. Why why did he get angry? He got angry because Jesus came here in order to touch the lives of people. And whenever Jesus saw an obstacle that stood between him and others, he was going to remove that obstacle because Jesus wants himself to be revealed to others. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, Jesus was angry when he saw that there was an obstacle that stood between him and children. And I think part of the reason why is because Jesus understood the importance of young people coming to him. Because young people are much more receptive to the things of God than adults. And I mean, I, I have learned this. I, you know what? I, I trust a kid's decision about what he's going to do for God. And y'all, this, this, probably, this, says, uh, this is probably not a good thing for me to say. Adults, I'm just pretty jaded with adults a lot of times with the stuff we say. And I just think, eh, I don't know if that's true. When a kid says something, in general, I'm like, eh, that kid means that. Because he's innocent. He hasn't been, you know, screwed up by the world yet. He naturally trusts and has faith. There's an interesting stat that says that 83% of people who become followers of God do so before the age of 18. Only 17% of people after the age of 18 will become followers of Christ. That's why James Dobson said the most important job we have is to bring our children to Jesus. He said, make it your number one priority in life. That's why Village Church has and will invest a great amount of our resources into our young people and into our children. That's why right now, we, y'all, and I'm, I'm biased, but I'm not being biased when I say this. I believe we have the best youth pastor and the best children's minister and the best children's ministry staff that there is. They care for young people. We have understood that if a child is touched by Jesus early in his life, it will change the trajectory of their life. One of the greatest discoveries in biology in the last 50 years, and I'm not a science person, so I'm going to have to read this to you all, is that brains of all young animals, including children, go through critical periods when they are particularly receptive to learning or mapping different forms of information. Does that make sense to you all? There's a certain time when your, your brain just you know, is, goes bananas and starts, starts mapping out all the information that it needs, needs to take in for life. Okay, two Swedish scientists, two of my good friends, David Hubel and Torsten Wiesel, they won the Nobel Prize in 1981 for their work. And discovering this. What they did is they, they did a scientific experiment on kittens. Don't get nervous. It's not bad. Um, the, the experiment they did is whenever these kittens, between the third and eighth week of their lives, is when their eyesight begins to develop. You know, their eyes are shut when they're little. And so what they did is they began to open their eyes. They, got, they, they taped one side of their eye shut and left the other one normal. Okay, now, 
Why did they do that? They wanted to see how that would affect the development of the, the kitten's vision during that critical moment when its brain is mapping out all the things the eye needs to do. After the eighth week, they took the tape off of that kitten's eye, and what they discovered is that kitten was blind because its eye did not develop properly between the third and eighth week because it never allowed light in. Its natural connectors that would cause eyesight withered away and never developed. And you say, well, that seems awfully cruel. Is there a reason they did this? Yes. They wanted to know when little children are born, and they might, some kids are born with cataracts, they said, what should we do? And when a little kid is born with a cataract, they used to wait till he got older in order to give him surgery. Well, they said, you know what, we need to do surgery immediately when they're an infant. And whenever they did that, they took the cataracts out. That eye, during the critical times when its eye is developing, the eye was able to have normal eyesight. They've covered it up that eye would have withered and they would never have eyesight again. Okay, how does this relate spiritually? This is why it's so important for us to teach children about Jesus at a young age. If we don't teach them at a young age, y'all, the natural spiritual connectors, the natural de- desire that people have to know God, if we're not hearing about Jesus when we're young, those natural spiritual connectors begin to wither away. And that's, why I, that's one of the reasons I believe it becomes so difficult for people when they are older to give themselves to Jesus. And that's why as parents, we, when our kids are younger and at Village Church, when we see obstacles that stand between young people and God, we've got to get in there and start removing those obstacles so our kids will see Jesus. Now, how can we, how can we lay bricks for an eternity for our kids? Bring them to Jesus. Remove obstacles that stand between them and Jesus. And here's the last one. Last building block, remind your children that Jesus loves them. Remind them that Jesus loves children. Last two verses I'll read, verses 15 and 16. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. One of the most powerful things that you can teach your kids is that they are loved and that God loves them. Our kids need to be told over over and over again that God loves them. There is a, a view that we have, a just strange, perverted view, that God is sitting in heaven, he's got a club, and he can't wait for us to mess up so he can beat us in the head. So what the Bible says, the Bible says that God loves people, that God loves children. As a matter of fact, in our text today, Jesus said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you come to me like a child. Now what is that talking about? Children naturally trust when they're younger. They, 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 they have faith that there's going to be somebody who's going to care for them, who's going to provide food and shelter for them. It's just as we get older that we see people disappoint us, and so we have a harder time with faith than young people do. Young people trust. And so we need to be reminding our children over and over again, you know, no matter what you face in life, God loves you. God demonstrates this all through Scripture. And if we do that, it becomes a part of a young person's DNA to know that regardless of what they're facing in life, that there is a God who loves them. And it gives them an anchor to hold on to. God loves me. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. I was listening to NPR a few weeks ago, and there's a story on there about a lady who adopted a child, a little boy from China. 
And so she had to go to China in order to get the baby. And when she was there, they brought the baby. She's staying in a hotel room. They brought the boy, six years old, to her room. And she said when she saw the boy, she immediately knew he'd been neglected. He weighed 28 pounds. 28 pounds. She said she loved him and cared for him. He was scared. Four years later, here's what she had to say. He's in fourth grade now. She said, when, when I think back, I'm amazed at what transformed this abused, terrified little creature. She said, it wasn't therapy. It wasn't counseling. She said, it was just love. She said, it was just simple, plain, easy to give love. The love is primal. It's comprised of compassion, care, security, and the leap of faith. She said, I believe in the power of love to transform I believe in the power of love to heal. Guys, we tell you, that is absolutely true. Our kids need to be taught, the kids in this community need to be taught that God loves them. And that God has a plan for their life. So why are we going to build two buildings over here? Because of eternity. Because we believe that Jesus Christ will bring hope into the life of young people. And that he can transform them forever. And that he can bring them into a heavenly home after this life. That new building over there is going to be a place where hope is taught. Parents, if that's going to happen, and Village Church, if that's going to happen, it's going to require us to begin the process now of building for an eternity. Now, I'd just like to close out our service by us doing this. Just to bow our heads and to close our eyes.